All right, if you got your Bibles this morning, I know you were just seated, but uh, we're going to stand and pick up where we left off last week, Ephesians 6, 17 through 20. Hold a finger there, flip over to 2 Timothy 3, two of my favorite verses, 16 and 17. We started talking about being equipped for the battle, and this is a part two of that, taking the offensive, no matter how great that weaponry is in defending us against the enemy, if we always live on defense, we're not doing a lot of scoring for the kingdom of God. And so we need to talk about taking the offensive. This past week, I was cheering on one of our own, C.J. Smith, as he was pitching a great game against Georgia Tech, and you always have to beat Georgia Tech. And, uh, but I kept saying, score some runs for him, score some runs for him, got to score some runs. And listen, in, in the faith, we can be on defense all the time, but we need to realize that God has called us to take the offensive. Sometimes we have to take it to our enemy. And so if you found your place there, let's pick up where we left off, verse 17. We read about the helmet of salvation and then the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. And then it says, with Every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit and stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, he says, that the message may be given to me when I, uh, excuse me, to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. And then 2 Timothy 16 and 17, we want to elaborate a little bit on the Word of God there that we read about, the sword of the Spirit. And Paul writing to his protege in the faith, Timothy, he says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete equipped, some translations say thoroughly equipped for every good work. Father, we thank you that you have taught us not only that we can suit up to be well defended against the attacks of the enemy, but Lord, you also call us to be on mission, to be ambassadors in change, to be on the offensive, to go out and make a difference and to push back darkness in the world that you've called us to. And so, Lord, help us to understand the power of these weapons that help us to remain on the offensive for the kingdom and the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I was reflecting as I prepared for this message on uh, those days following the beginning of Operation Desert Storm. And I remember that war because for the first time, like no other time, we had the technology and the ability to record by video a lot of things that were taking place. And I remember as a college student praying for our our troops, and I had many that I had gone to high school with who were there in the Gulf War and, and were part of Operation Desert Storm and all that was taking place at that time. I also remember a leader by the name of Norman Schwarzkopf, remember Storm and Norman, and he was describing 
uh, in interviews. And again, we had not seen anything like this before, those, uh, those videos of what was going on in the war. And he was describing military strategy at that time, and he was showing how they were taking out certain areas, and more specifically, he was taking out, our, our armed forces were taking out the communications ability of the enemy. If there was one thing that you wanted to be prepared to do as a military strategist was to take out the ability of the enemy to communicate. I also believe that that's one thing that the enemy would like to do to us, take out any type of communications. And so in our own homeland defense, we have to protect centers of communication. It's such a technologically advanced world today with so many means and mediums of communication. We have to do all we can to guard against attack, even from the militaries around the world. We have to defend our communication centers. And so that becomes vital to strategy. And when it comes to our walk with God and our ability to stay on the offensive against the kingdom of darkness, the enemy wants to ruin our communication strategy. And so these offensive weapons, and, and I say weapons, I'm, I'm really talking about, first of all, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is an offensive weapon, but I'm also talking about prayer, which isn't so much listed as part of the spiritual armor as it is that which helps us put on the spiritual armor and polish and wear that armor. But prayer is also our communication. Prayer and the Word of God is our communication strategy with Almighty God, the one who empowers us and the one who prepares us for battle. And so uh, I believe it's the Bible study we did called the, the, called the Disciples' Cross that, that shows that we need those areas of spiritual discipline in our life to help us communicate, Right? Uh, those areas, if you look at a cross, that, that vertical beam that deals with our relationship with the Father, the worship and prayer that goes to Him as our communication to Almighty God, and then the Word of God that comes to us is God's communication with us. And so those are not mutually exclusive. It's tying the Word of God in prayer together that's vital to keep the communication lines open with God. Those horizontal beams represent both our relationship with the world, those who don't know the Lord, we are witnesses unto them, and our relationship with the church, the body of Christ. It's, it's a different kind of relationship. It's called fellowship. We don't have fellowship with the world, but we have fellowship with fellow believers. We do have a relationship, though, and that is the relationship of a witness to the world. And so for those relationships to be what they should be, this relationship has to be the number one relationship in our life. And if we're going to be victorious in all other relationships, in our witness and rescuing those from the kingdom of darkness so that they might be conveyed into the kingdom of light, and then if we're going to have vital relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we've got to guard and protect our communication line first and foremost with Almighty God, our Father. We've got to cherish and treasure that communication above all else. And so that's why I think that fits perfectly right here in this description of our spiritual armor and our being equipped for battle and enabled to take the offensive. 
And let's be clear, we're called to take the offensive. Remember when Jesus was asking the disciples who do men say that I am, and, and they came up with a list of those that others thought that Jesus was, and Jesus asked them specifically, who do you say that I am? Peter had a response that was divinely provided him from heaven. And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus would explain on this rock, not Peter, but on the statement that he made, on this profession of faith, this confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, on this rock I will build my church. And then he said this about the church, the gates of will not prevail against the church. Gates don't move. Gates defend, right? And so the gates aren't coming after us. We're the ones that are called to storm the gates of hell, to push back the kingdom of darkness, to make a difference in this world as we rescue men, women, boys, and girls from that kingdom with the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're called to take the offensive. How do we do that? First of all, I'm going to share a couple of principles, and then I'm going to share with you some personal application after we look at these principles together for a moment. Number one, you are to be equipped with the Word of God. That should be a no-brainer, but, but there is nothing that we neglect so much more than the basics. This is Vince Lombardi here holding up a football before the Green Bay Packers one day saying, gentlemen, this is a football. When we look at the basics of the faith, we need to understand this is God's Word to us, and we are to be equipped with the Word of God. Now, we saw... In verse 17, that the word rhema is used last week. That's the word spoken into a situation. So we are to know the word of God and be able to speak the word of God. The word logos or logos has to do with the revealed word of God that, that we have received from the Lord. And it becomes rhema as we speak it into and apply it to specific situations. But it has to be revealed to us First, logos is actually the word, the Greek word that's used in James 1.21 when it says, therefore lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And so it's the implanted logos that's able to save your souls. Now salvation for those James was writing to, he had already introduced his letter by saying that he was writing to those who had been scattered abroad because they were believers. And so he's writing to believers and he's talking about their souls needing to be saved. And so we need to understand what salvation is all about. First of all, the day you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when he became your Lord and Savior, you were saved, past tense, from the penalty of sin. You are a child of the living God, but you are being saved continually from the power of sin. We like to call that sanctification. As you become more like Jesus today than you were yesterday, and hopefully more like him tomorrow than you are today. Some of you, it's, it's your testimony today. Thank God I'm not what I used to be, but thank God I'm not what I'm going to be by the grace of God. So we are saved, past tense, from the penalty of sin when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and become a child of the living God. 
Any man in Christ, a new creation, old things pass away, all things become new. We are being saved from the power of sin as we learn to walk with Christ, and one day we will be saved from the presence of sin. As the hymn writer said, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day that will be. Man, when I am saved from the very presence of sin and I go to live with Christ in a place where I will not even be tempted to sin again. But right now, we're, if we have put our faith and trust in Christ and we are child of, uh, we're a child of the living God, we are in a battle. We saw that last week, the flesh warring against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And the word of God is sanctifying you. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he talks about sanctifies the church. Christ sanctifies the church as husbands are to lead their families with the word of God. It's the cleansing agent sanctifying agent in our life. And so Paul spoke of the equipping nature of the word when he's writing Timothy. We read those verses a moment ago. Turn back there just for a second. Keep your place in Ephesians chapter 6. But he says, first of all, that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. All Scripture It's given by inspiration. Literally, it means it is God-breathed. And as one of my heroes, Adrian Rogers, always said, God does not have halitosis. He does not breathe error. It is God's perfect word given to us. And he says it is profitable. What's it profitable for? Rebuking. It can tell you what's wrong with you. He says it's profitable for teaching and then rebuking. So it's going to tell you how to live, what you're doing that you shouldn't be doing, for correcting how to get you back on the right track, and then training in righteousness how to make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. All of that means that when you spend time in the Word of God, God is taking that Word to equip you to take the offensive. It is your sword the sword of the Spirit, it's your offensive weapon. And it's probably, of all those pieces of spiritual armor, one of the most neglected pieces that we have. And and that training in righteousness means we're growing in character, growing in discipline, because he says the man of God, and I believe this would apply to the woman of God as well, needs to be thoroughly, completely equipped for every good work. We can't serve the Lord and do battle for the kingdom of God apart from being students of the Word of God who desire to take that Word and make a difference in their world. It is God's GPS. Some have said GPS stands for God's plan of salvation. Saved from the penalty of sin, being saved from the power of sin, one day saved from the presence of sin. It all comes back to the Word of God. Even your faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. And so it is so vital to our spiritual journey. Psalm 119, 11, one of those Awana verses that the kids memorize at a young age. Hopefully you memorized it at a young age. Your word have I hid or treasured is what it's talking about. In my heart that I might not sin against God. 
I love what my uh, mentor, Dr. Bill Bennett, used to say about how to do that. He would say you need to know it in your head. You need to stow it in your heart. You need to show it in your life, and you need to sow it in the world. Know it, stow it, show it, and sow it in this world. To know it means we spend time memorizing Scripture, studying Scripture. But that's not enough. Listen, if, if you go through every year of Awana and you check off every Scripture memory verse, and, and some of us are amazed at how these kids have such ability to retain, but you spend all your time on memorization and none on internalization, then it's not going to do you any good. Well, God's Word doesn't return void, so some, some things happen subconsciously, thank God, that comes back to you. But God wants us to learn to internalize His Word. Discover those principles and, and, and what they mean and how we apply them to our lives. I would rather a child be able to quote five verses to me and tell me how you live those verses out than be able to quote 40 verses to me and not be able to tell me what they mean. And so we need to be able to internalize that word in our lives. Stow it in your hearts. And then show it in your life. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Show it by how you live. And then sow it. We proclaim it. We're like those that Romans says we have lovely feet, right? How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And so we share it with those so that faith can come by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I'm going to talk about a plan to do this in a moment, but I want to share the second principle with you here. In this passage, all of this armor seems to to be anointed with prayer, covered in prayer, put on with prayer, polished with prayer, lived out with prayer. And so you are to be equipped by not only the Word of God, but a Word with God. And I'm not just talking about one word, but when I say a word with God, it's kind of like when your mama told you one day, I'm going to have to have a word with you. She didn't mean one word. She meant we're going to have to have a talk. Well, we need to have that talk with Jesus throughout the day. And so he describes how consistent we're to be in our prayer life here in Ephesians 6. He says, with every prayer and request, with your supplication, with what you're asking of God, He says, pray when? At all times. He says, pray in the Spirit, where your spirit is in tune with the Spirit of God. And stay alert in this. Remember, the disciples had a hard time praying with Jesus in the garden. They were having a difficult time staying alert. He says, stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. That's a key word there. Prayer is a big part of your life of perseverance, and persevering in prayer builds that. Pray also for me. Why do we need to pray for you, Paul? That the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. And he goes on to describe, he says, this is what I'm, why I am an ambassador in chains. This is what God's called me to do. Through prayer, I'm being equipped to do it. So so prayer is how we suit up and live out this life. Prayer is to stay something in our lives so that we stay in the battle. And as you read Paul's words here, you realize prayer is much more about perseverance than it is protection. 
Isn't that interesting? We will pray for God's protection as we should, but here he's saying pray with perseverance that we stay in this thing. Prayer is more about praying for boldness than it is asking for blessings. He didn't say pray that God would just bless my ministry and and it's okay to pray bless me indeed as Jabez did. But he didn't pray asking for God's blessings. He prayed and said, Lord, give me boldness to speak the truth. And so do we pray more for protection or for perseverance when things get rough? Do we pray more for God's blessings or for boldness to speak the truth in difficult times? That's the kind of prayer that shakes the world. Remember Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, After they had prayed, the place where they had assembled was shaken. And, and so they had a revival right there, right? Well, how do we describe revival? It says, And after the place was shaken, they spoke the word of God with boldness. There's no revival when prayer does not lead us to communicating the word of God with boldness. We can have good feelings, we can have a powerful service and a wonderful experience, but are we speaking God's word with boldness? It was so important that Mark one thirty five says that Jesus, while it was a great while before day, he went out to a solitary place and there he prayed. Is that part of our life that we say, you know, it is so important that I can't do battle with the enemy today until part of my military strategy of taking the offensive is I've got to have some time alone with Jesus Christ. I've got to be in communication with him. And often throughout today, I've got to pull aside to spend more time in prayer. E.M. Bounds, who has written much about prayer, says prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. That's convicting to me because so many times I see prayer as a means to an end, and Bounds was saying prayer should be an end in itself because I was created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, and while I'm in prayer, I'm glorifying Him and I'm enjoying His presence. But then it does equip me for the day ahead. It equips me for the week and the month ahead and all that the enemy would throw at me. It it prepares me to take the offensive with the gospel and go and storm the gates of hell. You say, wait a minute, though, but the Bible teaches us that we're to wait on the Lord, right, and be of good courage. That's true, but biblical waiting, biblical waiting is not a passive activity any more than you would want your waiter at a restaurant to hide somewhere, right? Waiting is actively seeking. And so Isaiah, who told us, they that wait upon the Lord would mount up with wings as eagles and run and not grow weary and walk and not faint, that same Isaiah relayed these words from the Lord, seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. That same Isaiah relayed these words from the Lord, that if we will call on the Lord, if we will ask of him, he will answer and he will show us great and mighty things which we do not know. And so our preparing for battle and waiting on the Lord means we're seeking his will, his direction, and we have to spend time in prayer and at the same time spend time in his word. And so what I want to give you 
It's something very practical in my life, and, and I've taken basically things that I have learned about prayer and Bible study and books that have written, been written on prayer and Bible study and communion with God, and I've said, how can, I, how can I simplify this for Robbie Brown? How can I live this out in my daily life? And so I want to give you here five steps to making the most of your devotional life, and this will equip you to take the offensive in the battle and help you to be thoroughly equipped for what God has for you. Five steps to making the most of your devotional life. This works for me. I believe it's got biblical foundations in those scriptures that we just looked at. Your strategic communications war room, what takes place? Here's what takes place in mind. First of all, begin that time with prayer, right? No brainer. We begin with prayer. Prayer is the indispensable principle. By that, I mean when you get ready to spend time with God and spend time in his word, whether corporately or individually, the indispensable principle is this. Go to the word of God. I mean, go to the God of the word before you go to the word of God. Go to the God of the word before you go to the word of God and ask the spirit of God who will lead us into all truth to help you understand his word. Go to God in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to be your God Begin by praising him and acknowledging who he is in your life, who he is in and of himself, but then ask him to help the word of God to come alive in your life. So so we begin with prayer. Then we move toward the precepts of God. After you spend time in prayer asking God to help you to understand his word, look at those precepts. Take your time to discover what the Bible says and means to the original audience in a specific context. As you're reading the Bible, Don't just look for a magical formula. We've all heard the stories of the guy who said, God, I just need a verse today. Tell me what to do. And he opened up his Bible and he stuck his finger down and it said, Judas, hang. And you're like, whoa. And then he flipped it again and said, go forth and do likewise. And whatsoever thou doest, do it quickly. No, we don't do that. We say, God, I need to understand what you have said in your word and help me to understand what it meant to the original audience. What were those precepts in Scripture? What is it saying? Most Christians become like liberal Supreme Court justices. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Uh, you know, those who come from a liberal perspective with the Supreme Court, they will say, you know, the Constitution is a living document. And they become activists and they say, well, we can make it mean today something that it never meant before. And that's not their job, right? It's the ones who make the laws who are supposed to determine what it means. They are, they're there to interpret what it means. And so sometimes we come to the Bible and we just ask the question, well, what does it mean to me? We need to look at these precepts and say, what did it mean to the original audience? What did it mean when it was written? And then we move, thirdly, to principles. After asking For God to help you understand and beginning to read and study a passage within a context and asking what it means, discover the timeless principles behind the precepts. Why does it say what it says? Josh McDowell said behind every precept in Scripture, there is a biblical principle that will permeate all of Scripture. And behind that principle is the person of God, the nature and character of God that moves us toward that. So as we read those precepts, we ask, why does it say what it says? I mean, is the passages that we're reading really talking to ladies about their jewelry and makeup and the braiding of their hair? 
Or is every young lady that's got their hair braided in any way this morning living in sin? Or was there a principle behind that that we needed to understand? Is that passage really about uh, men not shaving their sideburns or, or getting tattoos? What's the principle behind the precept? Know why it says what it said. Look at the context and say, okay, now I need to, number four, practice the principle. What is the practice of that principle? How will it apply to my life? How do I live this out today in the 21st century? You begin to pray for wisdom and guidance at this point. And I would even challenge you to take it a step further and for some of you do something you've never done before. And that's begin to journal. As you begin to pray and read the Word of God and understand what it meant to the by the way, it can never mean what it never meant. So find out what it meant to the original audience. Look for the principle behind that. Ask, how do I live that? How do I apply that principle out in my life? And then write this down. Here's what God's teaching me. One of my favorite top when I meet with a small group of men to do Bible study is when we get away from the study and we just say, hey, what's God been teaching you in your time with him? What's God been saying to you through his word? And they begin to make application. Here's how God's working in my life. And when you begin to journal that and hold one another accountable in those areas, you begin to truly become equipped to push back the forces of darkness in this world. And then power. Continue to pray. Now that you have begun to memorize and internalize the Word of God and you know how to show it and and apply it in your life, ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to live it out and to have that boldness to live it and to proclaim it to others. Continue to pray and live the truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the best way I can simplify it. Prayer, precepts, principles, practice, and power. That can be part of your daily routine and should be part of your daily routine as you become equipped for the battle that you're in. God saved you to walk with him. He saved you to live a life on purpose, victoriously, in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is impossible. Not just improbable. This is impossible apart from the Word of God in prayer. It seems so basic. It seems like blocking and tackling. You can't drive it home enough. But it is so neglected. It's been said this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. But our time in the Word and in prayer is so neglected and there are more resources available than ever before to help you with that. That's why many of you need to get involved in a life group because it causes you to dig just a little bit deeper and to discuss and fellowship around the table and and around the Word of God with other believers and talk about how you live it out and how you apply it to your life. Don't neglect that. There was a powerful movie a few years ago called War Room. And uh, there was a, a song that was written about that time and Jeff came to me and he's going to come and I want you to listen to the words of this song this morning it's a powerful song about the importance of taking the offensive of doing battle a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman and I want you to stand yet I'm going to come back and I will extend an invitation the altar is always open by the way you can come during the beginning of the service middle or end but as they sing 
uh, as this song is presented this morning, I want you to reflect for a moment. Am I doing battle? Am I taking the offensive? As I said last week, it's not so much a, am I scared of the devil? Man, I, I fear God, not the devil, right? But is the devil afraid of you? Because you mean business when it comes to the word and prayer and taking the offensive. Listen to these words. 